From the CQ Roll Call newsroom in Washington, this is the Week Ahead podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. The Federal Communications Commission on December 14th rescinded its 2015 net neutrality rule, freeing internet service providers from the requirement that they treat all web traffic equally, while also ending FCC regulation of the providers more broadly. I'm Sean Zeller, and my guests today are Rick Boucher, a former Democratic congressman from Virginia who now works with the internet providers, and later I'll be joined by Alan Oda, the CQ reporter covering the issue. Rick Boucher, you're joining us by phone today. Thank you for coming on the show. My pleasure, Sean. Thanks for having me as your guest. So, Congressman, some are portraying the FCC's move this week as the first step in the dismantling of open access online. Well, the Internet providers say they have no such intent. What, in your view, should Americans think about what happened at the FCC? Well, I think um, it's an unfinished story. Um, We uh, at the Internet Innovation Alliance, of which I'm honorary co-chair, think that it is a step forward to return to the light-touch Title I information services treatment for broadband that broadband enjoyed from the days of the Clinton administration up until two years ago. Um, And, you know, the Internet progressed enormously well over a trillion dollars in internet investment during that time and it's become an enviable platform the most capable platform the most transformative platform perhaps in 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 the history of telecommunications and and it was the light touch regulatory regime that promoted that but the reason i say this is an unfinished story is because the fcc regulation adopted yesterday really doesn't contain much in the way of open internet requirements And we believe that open Internet requirements are appropriate and necessary. Uh, Internet service providers should not interfere with their customers' ability to access the content of their choosing. Uh, We think that rules ought to be put in place. The proper place to have that done is in Congress. Congress can put to rest a longstanding debate. In fact, it's the most longstanding debate we've had in telecommunications in recent history. Uh, The net neutrality debate has now raged for more than a decade, and it really should be put to rest with permanence. That can be done by adopting a simple statute that has two components. The first component would be to provide open Internet guarantees. And uh, a possible approach that Congress could take would be the open Internet rule adopted by Chairman Jenikowski at the FCC, in 2010. Uh, that was applauded uh, by Internet uh, net neutrality advocates as uh, offering the guarantees that were necessary. And uh, some of the broadband providers thought that it was fine and very acceptable. In fact, AT&T testified before Congress in support of the rule. So, you know, that, that offers, uh, at least for opening conversation, a good place to come down. And Congress could codify those 2010 open Internet order Uh, net neutrality guarantees as part of the statute. And the other part of it would be a a simple declaration that broadband is an information service, uh, keeping broadband in permanent status uh, very much the way that it it, uh, was regulated from uh, its inception back in the early 1990s as a commercial medium uh, up until 2015. Uh, That would be a workable statute. And it's a win-win 
because Democrats would receive the net neutrality guarantees that they generally say are important. Uh, Republicans um, being more inclined toward the lighter, lighter regulatory touch would would be able to receive that benefit. And normally in win-win circumstances like that, where the issues are clearly defined and well understood, as they would be in this instance, passing legislation as possible. This really is the way it ought to be resolved. And I would just add one other footnote, and that is, if Congress doesn't act, I, I, I think we can expect to see every time there's a change in administration, this net neutrality debate reignited at the FCC. And, you know, and, unless Congress puts this debate to rest, I could imagine a ping pong where in Democratic administrations you have Title II status for broadband and in Republican administrations, just as happened yesterday, it's returned to Title I. And uh, the uncertainty that kind of situation creates is unacceptable. It would be very difficult to expect broadband providers to make major investments with that kind of uncertainty reigning. And uh, it's really in the public interest to put the debate to rest. Congress really needs to do that. Right. And when you reference Title I and Title II, those are different regulatory regimes. Now, the FCC, of course, has five commissioners. Three represent the president's party, and two are from the minority. So whenever we have a new president, there's a shift in power at the FCC. Exactly. And, and the FCC in 2015, when the Democrats were in charge, imposed this new regulatory regime, including net neutrality. And now that we have a Republican commission, it's reversed. Now we can see, as you mentioned, in 2020, if a Democrat's elected, it would be, we could have another reversal. So Congress is the only one who can finally set net neutrality as the law of the land. And you're saying that your members at the Internet Innovation Alliance, many of them internet providers, are willing to accept that. They're willing to accept the net neutrality principle. What they don't want is the FCC to have broader regulatory authority over them, right? That's exactly right. And, and not only are uh, our members willing to accept that, but they're actively advocating for it and urging uh, Democrats and Republicans in Congress to work together to create uh, permanent rules for network neutrality and permanent status of broadband as an information service. Apart from the net neutrality principle that the FCC imposed three years ago and is now rescinded, what about the regulatory regime was troubling for the Internet providers or was affecting their business in a negative way that they're now pleased to see lifted? The problem with Title II status for broadband is that uh, Title II is, is essentially the regulatory regime set up for common carriers. And it was originated back in the very first Those days. Those are phone companies, tele, yeah, tele, traditional exactly. phone companies. Precisely. It originated back in the early days of uh, communications in America, and it was designed for phone companies at a time when they were monopolies. And, you know, the great trade-off historically for monopolies and is that uh, you can have monopoly status. The government will even protect it, as it did for phone companies. But in, in return, <clears throat> you are regulated for rates and, and other terms of service. And, and the broadband providers were concerned that while the FCC in 2015 exercised forbearance not to regulate rates or require un, unbundled network elements or other things that would be very troubling to the broadband providers, the potential for a move in that direction always existed. And it would be fairly easy for the FCC to unforbear 
and decide that for circumstances prevailing at a given moment, it might be appropriate to have rate regulation or to have unbundled network elements or to regulate other terms and conditions of service. And that created a level of uncertainty that uh, prudent uh, uh, broadband providers took into account in making investment decisions. And the result was that they refrained from making a lot of investments that otherwise they would have made. And the places that were hurt the worst were rural areas where uh, the economic case for deploying broadband is challenging under the best of circumstances, given the long distances and and the lightly populated communities, uh, the adverse uh, terrain, just the great cost of deploying broadband in those settings. And and naturally, when you're reluctant to invest, you're going to, you know, refrain from investing first in the highest cost areas. So this this affected your former constituents because you represented a rural section of southwest Virginia. Precisely. But many of your former very concerned about that. Your former um, Democratic colleagues, those who are still in Congress, are very concerned or expressing a lot of anger right now about the FCC's decision in that they think that now the internet providers will start charging content creators to deliver their web pages to consumers. Is that a possibility? Well, I I think under the the regulatory regime put in place yesterday, there are lots of potential horror stories that could unfold because there really are very few network neutrality requirements in place uh, under the new rule. But uh, And I sympathize with the concerns expressed by my former Democratic colleagues, in fact, by uh, many um, stakeholders, including uh, edge providers. Uh, But the answer is for Congress to act and adopt strong network neutrality requirements. And I would just underscore again that the 2010 Open Internet Order uh, was celebrated by the same people who are very concerned now by the lack of network neutrality guarantees. And that offers a formula for ensuring network neutrality over the long term. Codifying those provisions into the statute would work very well. And then in return, broadband ought to be declared uh, on a permanent basis to be a Title I information service. Uh, That kind of statutory formulation, I think, would have a real chance of passage. And it is the answer for those who are concerned uh, at the present time about a lack of network neutrality guarantees. And there's been a number of states now, state attorney generals, that have filed lawsuits in light of the uh, the decision by the FCC. Do you hope that that figures into Congress's thinking, that they can take this out of the courts and settle the issue? That's yet another reason that Congress needs to act. Um, the, the environment becomes really turbulent after each of these uh, FCC actions. It was turbulent following uh, the entry of, of the order in 2015 that placed broadband under common carrier rules. It is turbulent today as a result of yesterday's order. And uh, we ought to put this turbulence to rest. The time really has come to to settle the debate. It's literally been raging now for more than a decade. I I remember when it ignited uh, more than 10 years ago. I was a member of the Commerce Committee and the Telecom Subcommittee and very strongly advocated that we put network neutrality protections in place we had a, a long-ranging debate over several years. Uh, no statute in the end was passed. Um, and, and emotions uh, are, are very high on, on all sides with regard to, to, to these matters. Uh, and I think for the sake of having a stable and predictable telecommunications environment 
and giving the uh, broadband providers uh, the certainty that they need to make investments and deploy broadband to virtually everyone in the nation. And that's a goal within our reach if we get adequate investment to do it. Um, we need to put this debate to rest. And really, only Congress can do that at this point. Well, thank you, Rick Boucher, for coming on our show. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Okay, I'm going to turn now to Alan Oda, who's the CQ reporter covering this debate. Alan, you just heard Rick Boucher, who argued that basically Congress is the only one who can come in and settle this debate for good. He argued that Congress should pass a law imposing net neutrality, requiring it of the Internet providers, but at the same time exempt them from broader FCC regulation, so a compromise of sorts. What do you make of what Rick said? Well, Congressman Boucher was one of the fathers of the uh, last major uh, telecommunications law, the 1996 law, and uh, he knows that it's very difficult for Congress to get together on, on legislation because unlike an FCC decision, a bill that becomes a law is a permanent solution. And I think it's really not clear whether lawmakers are going to be able to cut a deal on permanent net neutrality. Uh, maybe they could agree on something that's a little less divisive, like incentives for broadband deployment next year. Okay. I was up on the Hill in 2015 when they were engaged in this debate. And at that time, Democrats controlled the FCC and were planning to impose this new regulatory regime. And Republicans on the House Energy and Commerce Committee and the Senate Commerce Committee offered up this exact deal um, at the time, that they were willing to pass a law requiring net neutrality, but keeping the FCC's regulatory arm off of the Internet providers otherwise. So that deal is not necessarily still on the table. Well, uh, of course, they... they, they uh, order that the FCC adopted had a colorful name. They called it the Internet Freedom Order. And, uh, of course, Internet Freedom is, is pretty popular, but there's diff two different, seems to be two different uh, definitions of, of freedom here. And obviously the Republicans are talking about freedom for businesses to compete without government mandates. And Democrats are talking about freedom for consumers to click on all websites equally. Right. And so this is interesting in that in 2015, Republicans were willing to make a deal to forestall the FCC from imposing its regulatory regime. But now that the Republicans are in charge of the FCC, the deal is no longer necessarily on the table because they've got a better deal from the FCC, at least in many of their minds. But you've, you've talked with Marsha Blackburn, who's a senior member on the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and she is willing to forge a compromise? She's trying to? How is that going? Representative Blackburn and the other lawmakers are getting kind of a, a very heavy volume of calls and email. And even some of the lawmakers and staffers are saying that it's hever, heavier than the calls and emails they've been receiving on the tax bill. So they have from to people who want them to pass a net neutrality law. From people who want net neutrality protections, I think, for the most part. And uh, I think it would be it would behoove them, Republicans, maybe, to show that they are sensitive to some of these calls that they're receiving. Right. Now, so in 2015, one of the Republican arguments was that there was no need for this new regulatory regime, that the Internet providers had never really violated the net neutrality principle, that this was purely theoretical. And they had a good point there at that time. But I think uh, something that could perhaps change the debate on Capitol Hill, change the dynamics, is if an Internet provider were to 
start charging content creators to deliver their pages or something along those lines, a clear violation of net neutrality. So that's what we'll be keeping an, our eye on, Alan? I'm sure that the consumers are going to be keeping an eye, and it would be a good idea for them to keep an eye on their uh, monthly uh, uh, broadband bill, and they might be seeing little additional charges for certain things. and um, Or are, they might be seeing certain websites not working as well as they used to. That's the, at the crux of this. Right. They might be seeing uh, some changes in right, how they are interacting with the... Uh, their favorite websites and their applications that they have on their on their smartphones. And those are, I think, going to be uh, maybe the calls and the emails from consumers are going to be a big factor in the, in the weeks and months ahead. All right. Thank you, Alan, for coming on our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And for more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.